right, good morning. Good morning. Melissa Fuquay, you're running, I know, because you love being up here, but I just want to say thank you on behalf of my family. You've had three of my girls in high school, and I'm really grateful for your influence. So thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> all right. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, 44 to 45, but really we're going to be all over the Old Testament and New Testament, pretty much whole Bible today. So just get your fingers, uh, fingers ready to do the walking. Um, I do hope that you will make plans to be here May 15 uh, for the Bay Area Family Gathering at 5 p.m. I know it is a, it is a Sunday afternoon. I know it is, we never ask uh, people to come out like that, but this is an important, important meeting. Uh, and that announcement that Zach talked about is the most exciting vision announcement that we have made here in the last six or seven years. And so I'm really excited to share all that information with you. And uh, I hope that you'll be here that night, May 15 at 5 p.m. We're starting a new series today called Saturation. You're probably wondering, like, what does that even mean, saturation? Why a word like that? You, you may know that our vision here at Bay Area Church is to saturate the 4B area with the gospel by restoring people, families, and churches. And we would define saturation as everybody in the 4B area, which that geography, for those of you who are new, newest, is the Beltway to the beach and the Bay to Brazoria County. Those are the 4Bs. There's about 600,000, almost 600,000 people in that area. And saturation for us would mean that everybody, all 600,000 people in the 4B area are connected relationally to someone who is a follower of Jesus and would actually share the gospel with them and disciple them. I'm not saying all 600,000 people come to Christ in that saturation, but I am saying that 600,000 people are connected to someone relationally that will share the gospel with them and disciple them in the context of a community. And that's, that's what our hope is. I think it's a lifetime endeavor. Uh, I think it's going to take many churches to pull that off, not just one church. Uh, but that's what, that's what saturation is. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few uh, weeks. And the bottom line is that every one of you have a part to play in this. This is not a one-hit uh, wonder. There's no hero of the cause other than Jesus. It is, it is simply going to take all of us to saturate the 4B area with the gospel. And there's some ways that we need to think and live in order to actually see that happen. It won't just happen by us showing up here on Sunday morning. It's going to take more. And that's what I want to talk about. So we're, over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four subjects. Kingdom, disciple, church and society, and the church at large. So today we're going to focus on uh, kingdom and what that means and understand why Jesus was so focused on it in his life and his teaching. So if you would stand with me, we will read Matthew chapter 13. 44 and 45 as framework for this particular sermon. But again, we'll be all over the, all over the place. Here's what the scripture says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. 
again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You can be seated. And so just from this short teaching that Jesus gives on the kingdom, we learn one thing in particular, and that is the kingdom is more valuable than anything else. The kingdom is more valuable than any other sort of possession a person can have, a citizenship that they can be a part of. Uh, This is the most valuable, the most precious and and that may be what blows our mind about it is we don't get it enough to value it that particular way like if you were to ask yourself what is the most valuable thing in your life what is the most precious thing in your life the first answer for many american churchgoers might not be the kingdom of god that is the teaching that we hear from Jesus over and over again. And I, I really want to make three observations about the kingdom of God this morning that should influence how we think as people on mission with God. The first is this, is that Jesus is the way and the life of the kingdom. Jesus is the way and the life of the kingdom. Now, there is a a sad reality that most, I was thinking about it as our seniors were standing here just a minute ago, graduating seniors. This is the church of now and is the church of tomorrow. Most people in their generation have a very compartmentalized view of what, what relationship with Jesus is all about. It's kind of for inside certain buildings, certain days of the week. And, and they got that from us, their parents. <laughs> it didn't just like happen. They got that from us, you know, their, their parents. And, and that is exactly opposite of what we learn about the kingdom of God. In fact, the, the most important thing that we can know about the kingdom of God is that Jesus is the way and the life of the kingdom. He's not just a character to be honored on Sunday, but he is the way and the life of the kingdom. John said it this way in John chapter one, verse four in him, meaning Jesus was life and the life was the light of men in him was life. And the life was the light of men. This is the true life, the true way it's, it's John's making the assumption that we are living in the darkness and we are in need of life and light. So Jesus is that life and light. He's the center of the kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom. Jesus said of himself in John chapter 14, verse six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me you know whenever it starts to rain i can't help but think of living water i i I have spent so much time in the desert like when people when people in the desert hear this they dance because of what because of life it means life and it's just ironic to me that i'm talking about life in christ and he dumps living water so you can hear it and feel it and know it 
See, he is, he is the center of the kingdom. He's more than a compartment, more than one hour, one day a week inside of a certain building. But he is, he is the everything of the kingdom. He is the good news about the kingdom. He is the message of the kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom. And think about this. He entered our world and said, whoever believes can come. That's astounding. Second person of the Trinity of the Godhead, seated at the right hand of the Father and person, personal, per, personal and perfect relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, leaves the throne room of heaven and is born in a shepherd's cave, straps the skin of an infant on. Anybody have an infant at their house right now? What's that like, <laughs> right? It's poop everywhere, pee everywhere. You got to get up in the night. You got to feed them. They can't take care of themselves. Can you imagine the, the atrocity of the second person of the Trinity becoming an infant? And he's not just like born in the best hospital in, in you know, wherever. He's born in a shepherd's cave. And the shepherd's cave is filled with dung. It smells like what he's born into and what he's here to clean up. He was born into our mess. He's the king of the kingdom and he entered our world and said, whoever believes can come. But sometimes we lose sight of the magnificence and the mystery of Jesus in the, in the present tense. I think we think of him a lot like this. Like when we, we ask questions about him, maybe we need to ask these questions. Does he come only to enable me to get into heaven when I die? Is that the only reason he came? So that I could make the cut? Or is he here just to teach me what to protest or how to vote? Is it good to know that, 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 that all will be well when I die? But is that it? I think that would stink if that were it. It wouldn't be what the message of the scripture is all about. And it wouldn't even be the experience of humans with Jesus over the last 20 20 centuries. I mean, I think Jesus remains the, the center of humanity. Here's how you know Jesus remains the center of humanity. When someone gets scared, they scream, Jesus. But not just that. He has proven himself over and over through the testimony of men and women for the last 20 centuries. He has proved himself over and over to be a healer, to be a person who empowers the individual human condition. He's more than a person. He is the king who forgives sins and welcomes all who come to him. He came into our world. He entered the ordinary and he, he, he became in a sense, ordinary, that we might relate to him. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, if you've never read that book, it's a good good book to read. It gives you a good understanding of the kingdom. <clears throat> he said, the real, real son of God is at your side. 
He's the, he is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He's beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought, his Zoe, that's Greek for life, into you, beginning to turn the tin soldier into the live man. The part of you that does not like it is the part that is still tin. Now, this is the reality is that Jesus doesn't just come to save, but he comes to sanctify to make us holy, to make us more like him, as C.S. Lewis pointed out. And there is this part of us that is like a tin man that is averse to kind of the sanctifying work that Jesus wants to do in our lives. And that's the part that he's working on the most, that part, because he wants to give you a new heart. In fact, all of scripture, it says that he will give you a new heart. He's right here with us, and he's the center of the kingdom. He is the way and the life and the truth of the kingdom. The question that we have to answer today practically is, do we live this way like he's right here with us? Like he's the center of everything. Like we serve him and like he is to be adored. And this Jesus, do you know he's the invitation? He's what all of the Bible is inviting you to. And in fact, when we're out there every day, we're not inviting people to Bay Area Church. We're inviting people to Jesus. Uh, It's horrible for a pastor of one church to say, but as long as it's a Bible-centered, kingdom-focused, Jesus-loving church, I don't care where they go to church. May they come to Jesus. See, that's who we're inviting them to because he is the center and the king of all of it. And the question is, do we live this way? Do we invite this way? And do we see the invitation in our own life this way? So the first observation I would make is that he is the way and the life of the kingdom. He's it. Here's the second observation from scripture is that when Jesus teaches about the kingdom, he teaches very simply and he calls us to reconsider our way of living, how we are approaching our lives. Uh, He says it this way. John says it first in Matthew 3, 2, John the Baptist, and then Jesus twice in Matthew 4, 17 and 10, 7. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is more than simply, uh, what did you do bad last night? And we need to, you know, ask for forgiveness and get that off the list because the king is here. It kind of is that, but it's more than that. Way more than that. It's an invitation to consider, to turn directions. That's what repent means, is is to turn a different direction, to reconsider our approach in life because of who the king is and what the kingdom is about. We're reconsidering everything, how we live, how we think, how we do family, how we do relationships, how we work, how we're on mission every day in whatever field of work we're in every day. We are reconsidering everything because of the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
we often repent for later, right? Just so we make the, the cut, so to speak. So, so we don't get on the naughty list. This is not that. This is reconsider your whole way of living. Have a relationship with Jesus and experience the kingdom of God now. And that involves truth, faith, and love. There's this amazing story in Luke chapter 7 that I I want you to take a look at. Luke chapter 7. Go ahead and turn over there. The story is detailed in verses 36 to about 47. And in this story, one of the Pharisees, who is a religious person of the day, he's likely very faithful, an adherent to the law. You can look at this man and see that he has faith by what he's wearing, by how he talks, by how he walks. He's very careful about all of that, to do everything that's right in the Torah. He's a Pharisee, so he believes in the resurrection of the dead, and he's looking for the Messiah, which is why he invites Jesus to his house. And that's where we pick up in, in verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she, she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of, of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him with the ointment. The Pharisee invites Jesus into his house. Everything is kosher. That means clean. The food is clean. It, it, it fits the dietary laws. Everything has per, been prepared just perfectly. And what happens? This unclean woman walks into his house with a jar of ointment and begins to wipe her hair on the feet of his special guest. Now, what's going on inside Simon at that moment? We get a little bit of of understanding of that in verse 39. It says, now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for for she is a sinner, unclean. Like there's no way he's a prophet of God if he's letting her touch him. And you know what Simon does? He subtly turns away, subtly turns away from Jesus, judges Jesus for it, judges the woman for who, who that she is. And, and uh, you know, uh, unbeknownst to him and unfortunately for him, he did not know that Jesus could hear everything he was thinking. And Jesus said this in verse 40, and Jesus answering said to him, I think that's the funniest thing, you know. He was thinking to himself, and Jesus answering said to him, just remember that, um, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, 
teacher. And he said, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When, when, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of, of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to them, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Here's the point I want to make in telling you this story, that there is a faith love connection that we need to pay attention to in our day. When this whole scenario takes place, Simon, the Pharisee, the religious one is ashamed, ashamed of Jesus, ashamed of the woman. The woman is shameless because she loves Jesus. Now, this is really important because we have to ask ourselves as we begin to think about saturating the Forbes area with the gospel and interacting with our coworkers and our neighbors, our families, which might be the most difficult place to do this. Do we subtly turn away from Jesus in shame or do we shamelessly adore the king? Is there a faith love connection? I mean, would you? Would you take your hair and your tears and wipe his feet in front of everybody else? That's a tough question that needs an answer, that deserves an answer, because we have to know if we are kingdom focused and the king is at the center, then there is a faith love connection that says, I have faith in him, Jesus, the Messiah, who loved me and gave himself for me. And I adore him in ways that the world may deem shameful, that religion may even deem shameful because I love him. I'm shameless in my adoration of him. See, the woman gets it right here. Dallas Willard, who I, if you ever have a time to read a 400 page book, um, Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy. It uh, has a lot to do with the kingdom and it influences me a lot. But he, he, he said, when we see Jesus for who he is, we must turn away or else shamelessly adore him. These are our options. We must turn away or else shamelessly adore him. And I believe in some sense, the Western church has this thought that maybe we can shamelessly adore him inside certain buildings, certain days of the week, but then the rest of the week sort of subtly turn away so that we don't have to get uh, the judgment, the, the whatever comes with shamelessly adoring him in the world. 
And yet Jesus is worthy of all seven days of the week. 24-7. Because he loved us and he gave himself for us. He's worthy of our tears, of our, our service, our shameless adoration. Last observation that I'd like to make about the kingdom. When Jesus taught us to pray, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the phrase that we need to think about for a minute. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. It's theologically true from the beginning of the scripture all the way to the end of scripture that just as God has his will and his way worked out in heaven, God is working out his will and his way in the earth and on the earth among people and the generations. In fact, right now, biblically, if we're to read the Bible for what it is right now, God is working his will and his way to expand the kingdom of Jesus all over the 4B area. I would go so far as to say in church services all over the 4B area today, people will recommit their lives to Jesus. They will say, uh, I want to reconsider my approach to life and give it back to Jesus. I would go so far as to say some people will confess Christ as Savior and Lord for the first time and church services all over the 4B area today. There will be people baptized all over the 4B area today for the glory of Christ as being obedient to faith in Jesus because they've reconsidered their approach to life and they're saying, I, I, I want to live the Jesus way, the kingdom way with the king at the center. And I go so far as to say that this didn't happen because the sermon was so great on Sunday morning. I'd say somewhere about Tuesday or Wednesday, somebody that they had relationship with maybe shared the gospel with them. Maybe it's been a year of sharing the gospel with them. And maybe they, they finally gave their life to Christ today, but it wasn't, it's never the message alone, hardly. It's always a personal connection. Because of a kingdom person that's focused on Jesus, that shamelessly adores Jesus and their, their domain, their, their circle of influence, their neighborhood, their family, their workplace that draws someone else. The spirit uses that. And that's how he makes his kingdom come on earth, even as it is coming in heaven. So imagine if we... So lived in League City and, and all the Forbier, if we so lived in such a way that his kingdom would come and his will would be done in my home, in my neighborhood, in my workplace every day. What if we truly prayed that way? What if we truly said, hey, just take, just take the work of my hands, the direction of my feet, the words of my mouth, wherever I go, whatever kind of work I do, and just use it. For your glory and for your honor, that people might know you. They might know it through my work, through my life, through my words. What if we, what if we worked in such a way that his kingdom would come 
and his will would be done on earth right here in League City and the Forby area as it is in heaven. What gets in the way? Well, the thing that gets on the way, in the way is clearly egotism. So I get in the way. Or you get in the way. Like, I don't want to give the work of my hands to that particular thing that day. Or I don't want to share these words of the gospel because I'm subtly ashamed in, in the workplace or my neighborhood or my family or, or whatever. And egotism gets in the way. And egotism tends to drive like personal agenda. And here's the crux of the matter. When we think about the kingdom, People get this all confused in their head. It does not matter where you are or what you do. So here's my belief that God has placed every one of you exactly where he wants you for his kingdom purposes. Exactly. In your neighborhood, on your street, living next to the people that you live next to, exactly for his kingdom purposes. In your family, exactly for his kingdom purposes. In your workplace, exactly where you work with the skill set that you have and the things that you do for his kingdom purposes. He's not, he's not calling every one of you to come be a pastor. He's saying, be that thing that you are out there every day. But do it with the kingdom in mind, with the message of the king in your lips and on your heart. And understand that every one of you are missionaries. Every one of you are missionaries who is a follower of Jesus. And he's placed you at a crossroads, like a, a place of influence. It's just perfect for where you, what he wants to do for his kingdom's sake. And we have to get our minds around this. And then we have to consider if we're, if we're placed just where he wants us to be for his kingdom's sake around the people that he wants us to be around. And we do the thing that he wired us to do every day, just for his kingdom's sake. Is it about personal agenda or purposes of God? That's the thing. And this is where people get confused. You can be be anything God created you to be and do vocationally whatever God created you to do. And you can make as much money or as little money doing that as, as, as possible. It doesn't matter. What matters is are you living, whatever you're doing, are you living as one who has the king in focus, his kingdom purposes at heart. And whether you're, you're some, you know, corner office guy making tons of money or whether you're, you're doing something completely different that serves all the people and you don't make much money, whichever it is, do it for his glory and for his honor. Do you realize how much influence he's given you? doesn't matter what you do it matters how you do it and how you live in among the people that you do it with see 
This is what he's called us to. If we're going to saturate the Forby area with the gospel, there's two ways to think about it. We can try to, you know, whatever chairs are left, we can try to fill those up. And then as soon as we fill those up, we can go build another building out there. And then we might can get another thousand people on this campus. And then we might run 2000. The problem is there's 600,000 people in the Forby area. That would be, uh, you know, like insane. What would be smart would be the Jesus approach. Hey, I'll put my Holy Spirit inside of them. I'll give them a new heart and then I'll place them at crossroads at places of influence with people all over the city, all over the region. And I'll give them the opportunity to be uh, ambassadors for my kingdom. And that's where we all come in. That's all. That's the part we all have to play. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what your role is. It's just, he's placed you right where you are perfectly for his glory, for his honor, for the sake of the kingdom. So look, I'm looking around. I see counselors in the room. I see teachers in the room. I see stay-at-home parents in the room. I see, uh, uh, I don't even know what to call people who drive ships, but there's one over there. You know, there's people, there's people all over. We've got an elder in space right now. You know, it's the people all over doing all kinds of things police officers and doctors and nurses and all kinds of things, moms, dads, grandparents, they're placed perfectly to saturate the Forby area with the gospel. The thing is that matters is how you think every day and how that thinking comes out in your word, in your hands, in your feet with the people that you're around for the glory of Christ. We have to, yes, we want to saturate the Forby area with the gospel. Yes, I can't wait to make an exciting vision announcement on May 15. But more importantly than that would be each one of us understanding the kingdom, living for the king day to day in the place that he has put us for his glory, for his honor. You're the missionary. Every one of you. In Christ, you're the missionary to your school, to your workplace, to your home, all of it. You're the missionary. You're the ambassador. He's the king. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and um, just ask Jesus to speak to you about you? So, Father, we um, just come before you in this moment as a people gathered in your name for your glory. Thank you, um, first of all, Jesus, for loving us and giving yourself for us and changing us, transforming us, making us a people for your kingdom. Um, We need to ask you to, to... 
by your spirit, would you convict us where we need conviction to help us reconsider our approach to life in light of the king and the kingdom. Every decision we make, every, everything that we do, every word that we speak, Father, let it be for your glory and for your honor. Help us to walk with you. Help us to p- p- people to see our way of living and wonder about you. And God, give us the words and the discernment from your Holy Spirit to know how to love people well out there every day and to share with them using real words, the good news of of you, King Jesus, an invitation to the King and his kingdom. Put that on our lips. Father, I pray, would you help us the people of God embrace the simple kingdom concept that we are the missionary every day, the ambassadors of the kingdom every day in whatever place of influence God has put us. Give us a special empowerment of your, of your Holy Spirit, God, that we might that we might be kingdom people this week. Help us to embrace your purposes over our own personal agendas. Help us to humble ourselves and like the woman, adore you shamelessly. Forgive us when we're like the Pharisee that sort of suddenly turns the other way and God help us to help us to share your message of good news of forgiveness and grace and the love that you have for people so we love you and praise your name in Christ's name we pray amen